Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today and want to give a very warm welcome to Rachel Wagner. Rachel is one of our fantastic Hollywood branded team members, and as Director of Brand Partnerships, she helps to lead our team and build strategy and overall activations for our client partnerships. Rachel has spent 25 years in the entertainment industry and has tremendous experience in creating entertainment branded partnerships and has worked for companies including Dick Clark, Disney ABC, and Fox Sports to build campaigns for brands including FCA, Coca-Cola, Nestle, Samsung, and Diageo. Today, Rachel and I will be chatting about what makes a successful brand partnership. We'll learn what works from Rachel's experience and what should be avoided and how some businesses just miss the mark. Rachel, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, so it's not that often that we bring in a Hollywood branded team member, occasionally here and there, but I am really excited today because you have such a different level of experience and way of looking at things than I do. We have the same number of years of being in this industry, but you more so have been on the production and the studio and distributor side versus working on the agency and brand side. Um, So I'm looking forward to diving in, but can you start off and just share with our listeners how you got to hear today that you are, you know, brand building, makeup queen of all things? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, I actually really started in traditional media, um, selling spots and dots on cable, network, local, and national. But I did that in sports and in sports is like really where I feel like most of us kind of cut our teeth in product placement or branded integration or whatever it was called back at that time when I started in this. Um, You know, I mean, just kind of taking a page from NASCAR, that's what we did with everything from, you know, the Lakers, the Dodgers to the Kings. So it was really nice to be selling Um, such marquee properties and at that time winning teams. Um, So it was, it was fun finding different ways to integrate brands outside of just slapping on logos around the court um, or getting, you know, t-shirts on fans with logos on it. Um, So I had a lot of fun getting creative, working with the studios actually, and finding ways to drive box office Um, beyond just running a commercial within the game. Um, Being in LA, it was pretty easy to get talent to go to a Laker game. And we would have, you know, our sideline guy interview them. Nobody knew that that was the studio paying for that interview along with their very robust media buy. So we just found really fun ways to work with the entertainment industry and find ways to bring, you know, really create it so that they were part of the content and they could just promote their movie and drive box office that way. Um, so 
from there, I still did, you know, a little bit, I was still kind of more in that media space and really just kind of getting tired of living and dying by Nielsen every single day. And was fortunate enough to really just kind of shift into, you know, this true kind of branded marketing space when I went over to Dick Clark, um, where I was able to work on such amazing tentpole uh, award shows like American Music Awards, Academy and Country Music Awards, Golden Globes, um, working in so many different genres was great. And, um, it, you know, each show had its own personality, obviously being, you know, in different genres. So we're finding ways to work with brands where we could, once again, make them more a part of the content. So I had JLo dancing on a Fiat one year at the American Music Awards. Um, for years, it was the uh, Coca-Cola red carpet at the AMAs. Um, we also incorporated Coca-Cola into Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve, um, and then found ways to also work with FCA on Golden Globes and highlight some of their more luxury cars with, um, you know, showing stars arriving in, you know, a Chrysler. And again, that was all paid for. Everybody at home, I think, just thought, oh, that was the car the limo company just happened to send. But no, Chrysler paid for that too. Um, so I was, that was really where I did a lot of my work in branded entertainment and then was able to um, parlay that into kind of going out on my own and consulting and working on a variety of different uh, properties, events, did a little cause marketing, and then was over at ABC um, where I jumped back into kind of live shows on the Oscars, uh, American Idol, but then really had so much fun working with the team at Jimmy Kimmel Live and working with Guillermo and creating these branded segments um, that would run within Jimmy Kimmel Live. That's awesome. That is a really good deep dive into some of your experience. So for our listeners, obviously, Rachel has the experience and she knows what she's talking about. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So from your work, uh, mainly on that you know, distributor side of it, how do productions approach brand partnerships? What are they ideally looking for? Where is the benefit to them? Um, well, money. There's definitely a monetary benefit to it. But it also does, I mean, if you, if you have the right type of partnership, um, it really benefits the production company because those partnerships will help drive tune-in. I mean, having a whole promotional um, plan behind all of this integrated product really dr helps drive viewership. So those are really kind of the two drivers coming on the distributor side. Um, you do want, you know, you do want to make that what is considered ancillary revenue, especially at a production company on the brand side. Um, but you also really want to make sure that you get the eyeballs because without that, without, you know, American Music Awards uh, viewership going up year to year, when that licensing deal is up, you might not be able to renew it with the network. And that's where the bread and butter is. So finding ways to partner with brands to really piggyback on all of their marketing and help promote the show. And you've worked on some really large properties, especially the award shows. 
So typically in our world at Hollywood Branded, sometimes we work where media is required. My assumption is on most of the partnership deals that you were doing, media is almost always required to promise to be the leading um, aspect of the partnership versus the integration being the leading aspect. Yes, and it was, you know, it wasn't always, that's the way the network would like it to go, that the media drives the integration. Mm -hmm. But coming from the production side and, you know, working so closely with brands, a lot of times the integration actually led, drove the media. So, you know, I would work with, again, going back to the Fiat Chrysler Group, which was a great brand, a great client to work with because they have so many brands within their portfolio. So it was just kind of like, okay, we've got Academy of Country Music Awards coming up. Let's put Ram Trucks in. You know, it was that type of thing. So, and they were also buying a lot of media too. Um, and they really didn't want to deal with the networks. They wanted to deal directly with us. They wanted to feel like they were a part of the creative process. And so we would come up with the integration based on their brand briefs and a lot of input from them, probably a lot more than my producers and writers really wanted. Um, and then we would kind of wrap up what that integration would look like and then take it to the network where then they would do the appropriate media buy around it. Um, but like I said, the network always kind of preferred driving the media, which they did in many instances. Um, Old Navy was kind of a good example that actually came from the network side. And, but then we grew it to the point because we were coming up with such cool integrations that they came to us and said, okay, we wanna lock in a five-year deal so that we will own the retail category in American Music Awards. I said, great, but we got to get the network involved in this because you've got to commit to the to the four year media before I can commit to giving you kind of that exclusivity. So, it, you know, it all came from everywhere. But that being said, um, I had such great properties to work on, such great IPs. So, my, my team was kind of challenged with how can we basically exploit that IP and really make some additional dollars that is not predicated on a media buy and that we don't necessarily have to split with any network partners. So what did we, what did Dick Clark Productions own that didn't concern the broadcast? So it was the red carpet, which actually the net, because the networks got away from doing broadcast red carpet shows. They just weren't getting the numbers. Um, so we created a very robust digital plan around the red carpet um, so that there was more of an offering for some brands. But then we had the gift lounge. We had um, the after party. Then I started throwing pre-parties. And then I think at one point I had a pre-pre-party because I could attach a brand to that. And, you know, and, and then at the same time, all of these little events also generated a lot of press. So thanks to these sponsors that sponsored subsidized, easy for me to say, sponsor subsidized events, 
we could generate more press and promotion driving to the shows. So that's how I had to slice it and dice it. (laughs) Were there certain categories and, and I know the answer, but our listeners don't necessarily know the answer here, but are there certain categories that are more likely to be able to create these really cool offshoots versus being dependent on leading with the media? Yes, there are. And I would say, you know, especially in this instance, when you're looking at something more event-based too, um, alcohol is a big one. Spirits category is huge. Um, And they love these type of things because they are so limited what they can do on broadcast TV or any TV these days. So that category was kind of all over these opportunities. Um, and then beverage too, even non, non-alcoholic beverage as well. Um, but then we also could go out to smaller, more niche brands for these things where we maybe wanted some added value too. So if, you know, we wanted to have, you know, a makeup stand with a makeup artist doing touch-ups as people were coming in from the after party, we were able to go out and kind of almost provide that service to everybody going to the after party, make a little money, but more than anything, it was just a cool thing to have at the party. So it was, there were different, different, we had different entry points kind of for different categories um, who didn't, who didn't either have the budgets to be a part of a big media buy or had limitations like in the, the spirits category. And so there's spirits, there's automotive, there's going to be electronics, anyone who's a mobile, anyone who's a major television advertiser, you're going to have to come to the table with media. Yeah, exactly. Retail was very big, especially given the time of year um, that a lot of the shows were on. Beauty was always big um, in actually across all the shows, but of course, everybody, all the beauty brands wanted to be in the Golden Globes. But L'Oreal locked that in years ago. They had the exclusive on that too. Um, But yes, electronics were such a natural. um, And we found fun ways, you know, to work with electronics. I mean, one year we got rid of the envelope saying, and the winner is, and all of the winners, the envelopes were basically put on a Samsung phone. And so, and the winner is, and then, you know, the, the best part was when the celebrity would turn the camera around and actually show it and we can zoom, could zoom in. That wasn't, that wasn't scripted, but we got lucky with those sometimes. Um, Where they just happened to take it upon themselves and say, look at this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you get, you get lucky as we all know with those moments, but yeah, those are the main, I would say those are really the key kind of categories who always come to the table because they do have the media dollars to spend on that. So when you're working on the extensions, when you're working on the pre-parties or in your case, the pre-pre-party? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So with that, um, how should brands really approach those? Like when they're looking at maybe not being in the show, but they're Mm -hmm. looking at the cool event activation that they can do. How are ways that brands can really leverage themselves and and get what they're looking for? Because just being at the event is not it. It goes a lot deeper than that. Right, it goes much deeper than that. So, you know, we had to look at ways 
where we could amplify the fact that they were sponsoring <clears throat> this party. So, um, you know, doing things like photo booths that then could automatically, that could be shared socially. So you could automatically start posting from the photo booth. Um, I always, there was always a, some sort of digital overlay and we would actually partner with the platform. Um, the first time we rolled it out, we partnered with Facebook. And so it was, you know, all these parties were covered. Um, we were getting all this content that was getting pushed out by Facebook. Then we had all of the talent who was attending the party. We had a whole kind of media, social media guideline for them. So it was like, okay, when this, when this content gets posted out, whether it be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whoever we kind of had that partnership with. Now having that partnership didn't mean that we alienated the other social media platforms. It just meant that they were our main outlet and we knew that content was gonna get blasted out. So then we just had, you know, that's the nice thing about working on these events. You've got talent there who also have a voice. They're not always going to kind of amplify something on behalf of the brand, but if you can kind of get them to push it out on behalf of the property, they're more inclined to do that. And if you make it so easy, I mean, we had social media, a social media guideline Bible that we would send to them. Um, so we would use that as a way to really get the word out that this was happening. I also worked very closely with the head of PR and we just made sure that we got all the media outlets out there. Um, and we had to make sure it was a really cool party to make them want to come and to actually cover it too. Um, so we found basically, you know, play, you know, earned media and, you know, placed media to get the word out on, be on behalf of the sponsor to show that they were sponsoring this really cool event. And what can the brands do with, you know, they're on, they're doing an event activation or they are actually in the show. What typically would you, the allowances be for them to repurpose content or extend content? How would that all work? Or is licensing so strict and tight that once they're in the show, that was it? Or, or how did that roll out? That was in the beginning, it was really rocky because it because there was such a social media tie what was happening is that these brands were just starting to kind of push that out so there were a lot of cease and desist letters that happened so we had to kind of come up with with a plan for this of how we could allow them to share on this socially if they pushed it out from and we learned you know, if they actually were pushing it out specifically from a property handle, they could, they could get away with that. But if they wanted to actually put it up on their website, they wanted to use it, if it was a re retailer, you know, use it in store or something like that, then I had to work with business affairs and come up with some sort of kind of licensing agreement where we would take that that piece of content, package it up for them and get a fee for them to use it for a certain amount of time. Um, some, the reason we could sometimes get away with them pushing it out from the properties handle is because there is a promotional timeframe. 
to promote the show. So if we could get it in that promotional time frame, we were safe. But of course, the brands wanted to use that content beyond, I think it was a, a 30 day time frame. So we would we would come up with a licensing deal, which was great because that just meant, you know, more more revenue for the production company because that that revenue goes directly to the holder of the IP. There's no net, network splits or anything like that on that usually. Yeah, it's so different than the land of feature films. So, you know, you mentioned the co-promotional window. With a feature film, the studios act very different than the television networks. And mm -hmm. right now, the streaming platforms are much more studio film-based in how they're approaching brand partnerships than TV network-based. Um, because the TV networks are concerned about their, you know, the almighty ad dollar. Um, and they don't want to have that be infringed upon in any way. On the studio side and the streaming uh, platform side, they're really into awareness and making sure that they're leveraging the brand to be able to get their property, their network, uh, not network, but their streaming platform, their studio in front of as many eyeballs that the brand has as their own fans because it reduces their own marketing budgets. And TV shows don't really think of it that way. Networks are just not in that land. They aren't. And that's why, you know, usually a production company doesn't take on the responsibility of marketing a network show. The network is supposed to do that, but these days, like you said, they really don't. Or they'll just focus on a couple shows that they're really going to get behind. And usually those shows aren't one-offs, you know, an event show that's only on once a year. They're going to push more of, you know, their Grey's Anatomies, This Is Us, something where they need to get that viewership on a weekly basis so that they can maintain that ad revenue. Yeah, they need 10 million viewers or they're not going to make their ad rates. Exactly, exactly. And then they have to come up with a whole make good schedule, which limits their inventory to sell more, you know, more advertising. So um, it's, that's where their focus is, is more of their, their series. And um, at, at, at a production company, we realized that we needed more marketing we needed more than what the networks were providing. And traditionally production companies don't have budgets to do that. And are there brands that were able to get involved with any of these productions where it was more on a trade basis or I scratch your back basis or with all of the partnerships that you were working with at such high scale, um, premium, premium properties, were they all triggered by dollars? No, we did some trade as well. Um, and that was to help with production cost. Um, I did a trade out with Hervé Leger to do that. So he would dress all of our red carpet hosts, um, which helped a lot on the wardrobe budget. I would, you know, going back to talking about these cosmetic brands, I would actually not just have them have a little glam squad at the party. I would actually have them bring the, you know, the, the makeup artists they had on staff to come in and do makeup if talent would allow us to. Usually it was guys that they would do the makeup on. Women are um, like, do not touch my face. It's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. I have my own person. You can't touch me. You can't um, put someone else's lip gloss on. It's perfect. It matches my dress. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But 
we still, production still had to have makeup artists on hand. So there were those kind of cost savings services we could find that the brands could, could offer. And sometimes we did do trade outs on um, alcohol for the parties. You know, I mean, using the Academy of Country Music Awards as an example, that after party was raging. And the talent expected a Great. lot of Crown Royale. <laughs> yes. So I just went to Diageo and I just said, just ship your entire portfolio. That's all we need for this party. Because that party, the main objective was to, to keep the talent happy so that they would, we could keep booking them on every show moving forward. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yep. And tipsy talent is happy talent. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Even though, even though spirit companies would pay for something like that, sometimes at the 11th hour, you just need their booze. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll be right back. We're going to take a moment's break to listen to a message and just give us a moment and we'll chat again soon. Check out our weekly blogs at blog.hollywoodbranded.com and stay up to date on all things marketing, business, and pop culture. Subscribe and join over 30,000 readers who are already in the know. Rachel, if we can dive in, you don't have to tell tales, but <laughs> where do brands mess up? Where do they make mistakes? Where are they approaching these brand partnerships where they're really not doing it right? When they fail to realize that this is really a branding play, that they cannot shove all of their messaging points into this branding play. That's where they do mess up. And there have been times that despite pushback from writers, producers, who they don't, they don't want that in their content. They don't want to hear every benefit that Visa has to offer their clients. We don't need to know the APRs and the great percentages that they're getting and, you know, all of these things, but they try to get it all in. And, um, you know, it's that delicate balance of pushing back. And, but there have been times where despite the pushback, they push hard enough and we still will get all of those messaging points in and it, it falls, it falls flat. Um, it, it, it just does. There's no way that you can get it in, you know, and a lot of times these type of things work more on the comedy side mm -hmm. and you, you just lose the cadence of, of the, of the comedy of the show. So it's, it's not just a mistake for the brands. It ends up being a mistake for the show too. And, and then nobody wins. And that's interesting because our agency, by representing brands, right? We often are, you know, we're being paid by our brand partners to find them these partnerships and build them out. Um, but we counsel our clients that we're also there to make sure that at the end of the day, that the partnership is actually going to be warmly received by viewers. And so we will push back on things because we know what the production is going to say no to. And it's really easy to see when the messaging starts going over the top 
when it starts being, you know, let's look at all the features that this car has. No one wants to see that. And the last thing you want to do is have your social media blow up about how bad your exposure was, because then it just, all that negativity throws it out the window. Are there other areas that you've seen brands kind of mess up in this space? Um, Yes. When they are doing some talent alignment and the and it, somebody at a corporate level gets this idea that they have to partner with one piece of talent. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that you counsel them, you say, no, they, it just who they are as a person, their likeness, the roles that they choose, it just doesn't align with your brand. And it makes both of you look ridiculous. I mean, I think Pepsi got a lot of backlash for what they did with uh, Kylie with Jenner, with Kylie, with Kylie mm-hmm. Jenner. It just wasn't, it wasn't a fit. It wasn't, it wasn't authentic. authentic. No, what it, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't authentic. And but boy, did they want to be like with one of the queen bees of social media. That was what was the driver there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that was, there was so much backlash. I mean, that just blew up in their face. Um, and I've seen it happen um, with auto brands. Again, not without, I don't want to tell tales. Yep. Um, but even with cosmetic brands too. You know, you see that you just think that I think the cosmetic brand thinks, oh, she's pretty and she has great skin, but it's really not believable that she would actually be using that product. So that's, that's where I think that brands fail when you're using somebody's likeness. It's not just about that one starring role that they had in a movie, or it's not just about that character that they are in a TV show, even though that TV show has maybe been on 11 seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about who they are or who a character they have decided to personify as a part as their as part of their career. We'll have a lot of brands come to us for a celebrity endorsement deal and they'll say, I want XYZ, just like what you were saying. And we'll sit there and we'll think for a moment and we'll hear them. And we like hearing who they like but we don't necessarily want to hear who they want because the conversation drivers are so much behind the scenes where you don't know what other brand deals they might be already involved in, or you don't know if they might actually be a horse's ass to work with um, as a brand. And we tend to drill down with the talent agents to, you know, find out who is actually going to be jumping up and down for joy about a brand partnership versus someone who's going to have to be handcuffed and stuck to a chair and spoon-fed this to make them do this. And there's such different experiences for a brand to have. And you wanna have that authentic partnership and you wanna make sure that it's organic and you wanna make sure that the celebrity is actually as bought in on to the brand as the brand is to the celebrity. So we always cancel instead, you know, let's find out what the brand brief is. Let's figure out you know, the right direction. Let's knock on the doors of the different agents, have deep conversations about who they think on their roster is actually a fit so that we can reverse engineer it instead of saying, I want X, Y, or Z. 
um, and instead go out and see the landscape, see who's hungry, see who happens to owe extra taxes and they're a little bit more driven for a deal um, or someone who um, has a slow year ahead of them because they don't have a major film or television show coming up where they can dedicate time to a, a brand partnership. And that's something that a lot of brands just don't tend to think about. Exactly. So are there any other mistakes that you see with brands? And there might be none, I'm just asking. Um, I mean, those are really the main ones that I've, I've seen to kind of really call out. Um, it, it's just when things are forced, that always comes, comes across, you know, like you said, um, if you know that a talent just isn't easy to work with and is a diva and, you know, don't, don't even bother putting a Coke in her hand on the red carpet, because if you get her to sip it, it's not going to come across as authentic. And, and there's probably going to be like a weird look to her face. Exactly. Right. It. Exactly. So it's just, <laughs> there's just times to just avoid those things. And I've had, you know, I've had the, the brand partner right there in my ear sometimes on the red carpet of, we need to get that in their hand. It's like, no, not, not this one. Let's wait. Let's wait until another one comes along and you'll really get more bang for your buck on that one. <laughs> I agree with that. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Obviously I get to see you every day and our entire agency gets to leverage your experience. Uh, but if anyone listening is interested in chatting with Rachel in more detail, you can reach out to her at rachel at hollywoodbranded.com. I don't normally fill in the blanks for people on this, but <laughs> I happen to know this information quite well. Um, or our agency in general, where you can reach out to either partnerships at hollywoodbranded.com or the generic info at hb.com and you'll be there. Um, Rachel, again, thank you so much today. Really enjoyed having you share your insights and your thoughts and looking forward to continuing to have you build partnerships with our team. That's great. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. So Thanks. to our listeners, thank you again for tuning in to Marketing Mistakes. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. <laughs>